Um, Exodus 33, and I, you know, I, I've been thinking about how to start this year. What is God speaking to this church? I really believe that God gave me a real message for our body, our church, for this year, 2019. And I want to share it with you. Uh, and it, and it's, been, it's been something that's been brewing in my heart the last couple of weeks. And uh, you know how Facebook pops up these memories from a year ago, two years ago, and things like that. And you're looking like, wow, that's, that was happening. And I remember in last December, um, around this time, I was posting a lot about discouragement. And it's interesting. I don't know about you, but at the end of the year, it's easy for us to get into what have I accomplished this, this year? What have I not accomplished? And it's easy to get discouraged. Sometimes at the end of this year, it looks like we've taken a few steps backwards in our home, in our family life, or in our business uh, than we did where we were last year or two years ago. And that can, get, that can be discouraging. But that's not what I want to speak about this evening. I want to talk here this evening about something that I truly, as a pastor, desire for our church and for our body, our family here. And that is... I went to bed last night, and I just had this, in the last couple nights, was really stirred in my heart about God just moving in, in spring, touching people's hearts. The Holy Spirit would just move across this, this area, across the woodlands, and not just to stir up an organization, stir up a group of people, but really that there would be an anointing, that there would be a change of hearts, that there would be a work of God that that's we would attest to the presence of God that we were with Jesus. And that is just my, that's my deepest prayer and of my deepest desire for this church more than anything else. E.M. Bounds, and if you have not read any of his works, E.M. Bounds, E.M. Bounds, wrote a lot of books about prayer and the anointing. He's probably one of my favorite writers. And he said this, he said, the Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men and women. He does not come on machinery. He does not anoint machinery. He does not anoint programs. He does not anoint plans, but he anoints men. He anoints men. I just want to meditate on that tonight with you, that God anoints us. It's not anointing our business plan for 2019. He is anointing you. You, your, your family, he is anointing your kids. He's anointing you. Think of that for a moment. God does not anoint um, great goals. God is anointing you. And if you are anointed and you are anointed and you walk into a new year and you walk into your goals or God will give you goals. God will give you his heart and that, that heart will determine your goals. He'll give you his mind and that will determine your steps. Exodus 33 verse 9 through 11 I've been thinking about um, just in prayer, thinking about this new year. And God put this, this man, Joshua, on my heart. And I just started thinking about this man's life and how he must have been an incredible man to follow Moses. Moses in the Old Testament was an incredible man. He is described in the book of Deuteronomy at the end of the, at the, end of the book in chapter 34 that there was no other man like Moses. And at the age of 120, Moses' eyes were still as good as they were when he was a young man, and his energy was the same. 
nothing abated him. And he's a representation of the law, the Mosaic law. And so Moses here had this relationship with God. Um, I think you're going to get the idea and the point of what we're saying here in a moment. Exodus 33, verse 9 through 11. 33, chapter 33, verses 9 through 11. I'm going to go through a few verses here. When Moses entered into the tent. Now remember, here is Israel. They've come out of Egypt. They're about 2 million people. 2 million people walking in the desert. Can you imagine the ecological footprint, the environmental footprint of that? Uh, The food situation, the water situation for 2 million people. I saw a documentary last night about a great city in Oman. uh, Oman, you know, centuries ago. And it was, a, it was a city in the middle of this desert, and it was the location where there's tons of water, and all the camels and the trade would come and meet up at the city, and it, was, it got so packed, and the water was so depleted, the entire city sank into the sand and disappeared. It was called the city of Ubar. Think of the, imag- the incredible food planet. I mean, we plan, um, we plan parties for 20 people. Right, and we're pulling our hair out. Here's Moses, two million people. How are we going to feed these people? And this was a this was a logistical nightmare. But Moses was a man that had an incredible walk with God. And Moses entered into the tent. This tent we know was where the tabernacle was, the prayer, the altar, the the altar of incense, the laver to wash hands. Uh, there was just all of these articles in the um, tabernacle that were anointed and that were blessed by God. And he would go into the tent, Moses would go into the tent, and it says here that the pillar of the cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. This cloud was the presence of God by day. It was a cloud. In a bright, sunny day, there's a cloud there. You can't, and, and, and when the Israelites would look at the tent, and there's just so much meaning here, they would not see the door, they would see a cloud. And it speaks of faith. The cloud, following the cloud in the desert, when everything is clear and bright, there's a cloud. It's not very clear what the Israelites were following. There, a cloud would descend and at the stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Wow, that's just so great, huh? Don't you desire that kind of relationship? God would speak to Moses. What do they talk about? What do they talk about? Moses, was he pouring his heart out to God? Was God speaking to Moses about uh, his hunger and desire and his plans for Israel? There was an incredible relationship there. And it's such an amazing relationship that we read read on in verse 10. And when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the two million people would rise up and begin to worship. That must have been amazing to see two million people worshiping the Lord. However they worshiped, I don't know whether they sang, whether they prayed, each at his tent door. So every family, so that Moses would go into the tent, the cloud would come down, and dad would be like, okay, Come on out, let's stand by the tent door and let's worship the Lord, the entire nation. Imagine if an entire nation in the United States would worship the Lord like that. 350 million people if we just all worship. And I think on Sundays, much of the country, um, regardless of what people say about the United States being a post-Christian country, there are a lot of people worshiping at their tent doors, worshiping the Lord. And the, and the, and the pillar comes down at the entrance of the tent all the people rise up and worship each of his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. In the Hebrew, this is amazing. And it speaks about face in the Hebrew is the same word that it's in the Hebrew for presence. The presence of a person. Being in the personal space of somebody. You ever been in somebody's personal space 
and it's a great experience or a bad experience. This is face-to-face. God is in the presence of Moses. Moses is in the presence of God, and they're speaking face-to-face. Like, like you and your best friend would talk to each other like, man, I'm just, I don't know what to do about this. God is like, I don't know what to do with these people. I just want to destroy them all and just make a nation out of you, Moses. Moses is like, don't do that, because if you do that, God, you might as well wipe me out too, because I'm a sinner too. And so God and Moses would have these conversations, and we see this conversation going on. Yet, in verse 11, the Moses is speaking to God face-to-face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses turned again into the camp. So Moses is done talking with, with God, turns around, goes out of the, out of the door of the tent. The, the cloud goes up. Maybe it doesn't go up. We don't know. But guess who stays in there? Joshua. Joshua, a young man. And we know here, I was reading this this, this week, that Joshua was taken in by Moses as a very young guy. Just a young kid. I don't know how old he was. Maybe it was the age of Caleb, 11 years old. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, Oliver, or, you know, I don't know. God, God just had Moses take Joshua along with him into the tent. When I was in Bible school, my first year of Bible school, I read this verse and I said, this is what I want my Bible school to be about. I want to be in the tent. There's a lot of action going in and out, lots of outreach, lots of programs going on and when we're living in Linux. But I just want to be in the tent. I want to just continue. Joshua, we talk a lot about Joshua as being this mighty conqueror, right? But yet he was a great man of prayer. He was a man that was, that was exercised in the presence of God. He was a man that worshipped God. He was a man that, that heard from God. And he did not depart from the tent. That is my heart for this new year. That is what God has put in my heart. And we see this relationship. Moses turned again into the camp. His assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. We don't know how long he was in there, but we know he tarried in the presence of the Lord. He tarried in the presence of the Lord. And this is what this was the signature of Joshua's calling to lead the, the people of Israel. Then we read on the, the, the continuation of, um, of, of Noah, I'm sorry, Noah, of Moses. And Joshua in Deuteronomy 34, verse 9, Joshua, the son of Nun. There must have been something about the son of Nun. I don't know. Who was Nun? I'd love to do a study. Who this was? Who was this guy? You know, that his son that he keeps mentioning. Maybe he was nobody. But you know what's amazing? If you have a kid that God raises up and uses in a mighty way, you get to be the son of that. You get to be the dad or the mom of that kid. Isn't that great? Even if you adopt him. Even if you adopt him even if you're a blended family, because I look at it like this. If God had a better parent for that person, then God would have put that parent with that kid. And so if you're thinking about your kids and like you, I could be a better mom or dad, or maybe I could, maybe somebody else could. Well, if there was, then God would have put a different person to parent your child or to raise that teenager that you're raising or discipling. Deuteronomy 34 verse 9 says this, that Joshua... Son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of wisdom. Wow, that's great. Not only did he have the presence of God, not, even, not only was he exercised in the presence of God, the panim, the face-to-face of God, and I'm not speaking in tongues, panim is the word for face here, is that Moses had laid his hands on him. God told Moses, 
God, Moses and God have this conversation earlier in the book of Deuteronomy, and I was reading this this afternoon. And Moses is saying, God, who I'm the, I'm the administrator, I'm the leader here, but this, these people need a pastor. These people need to be shepherded. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And God says, lay your hands on, Moses, on Joshua, the young man, and uh, appoint him to be, to be uh, in, before the people with Eleazar. And so he's anointed. For Moses had laid his hands on him. And this is what I was thinking when Chris was talking about the, associate, the blessing by association. Joshua was associated with Moses, and there was a blessing in his life. You know, I know that we don't make big deals about churches and names of organizations, but I do believe that if you are associated with a man and a woman of God in your life, and they are walking with God, there is a blessing in your life, no matter what that looks like. Amen? And so here's what happens here, is that the people of Israel, Deuteronomy 34, verse 9, obeyed, Joshua and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Why? Because Joshua was associated with Moses. Who are you associated with? It is very important who you spend your time with. And I can't stress this enough. You will be like the people that you spend your time with, no matter what we know about God. If I'm hanging out with people that are just not anointed, that are not in, in, embedded in the presence of God, that's why we need church. I'm not here. I'm not here to preach like come to church. I'm not. To, I'm not. I'm not here to do that. I'm here to say that you and I. I need it. I need to be in the presence of God's people. And if you are in the presence of someone who speaks to with God face to face, as a man speaks to his friend, that's going to change your life. And there's going to be something different. And guess what happens? People follow you. People will follow you. I'm not saying that you have to be the most spiritual guy in the block. I'm just saying, hey, I don't know where I am at spiritually, but I'm associated with the, with these people, and if I'm associated with these people, then then I have a blessing in my life. F. B. Myers said this. How many have heard of F. B. Myers? Okay, love that. One of my favorite writers. He wrote this: the supreme inquiry for each of us, when summoned to a new work, is not whether we possess sufficient strength or qualification for it, but if we have been called to it of God. And when it is so, there is no further cause for anxiety. Amen? I'm going to read that again. The supreme inquiry for each of us, and this is old English. I like old English. I just kind of like the complicated. I want to read it. I wanna, it's like a steak meal. It's like a steak dinner. The supreme inquiry for each of us, when summoned to a new work. We're being summoned to a new year, aren't we? Yeah. We're being summoned to a new work. There's some new stuff. In January of 20, 2018, if, if God had said to my wife and I, you're gonna. Have, this is what's gonna happen, and you're, this we probably would have just given up the ghost right at that moment. You know, I don't know about you guys. I mean, yeah. You know, I, I don't know, but it's it's someone to is not whether we possess sufficient strength or qualification. Are you sufficiently strengthened and qualified for uh, for what you're doing? God says to, and I'm gonna read this later in Deuteronomy, but God says in in in, um, in Joshua chapter one. That guess what, uh, Joshua? I am going to call you to lead a people into an, into a, a land where the fences and the walls are built up to the heavens, and the people are stronger and mightier than you. Happy New Year, <laughs> twenty nineteen. We're going to be facing people and situations and walls and hindrances that are mightier than us. You ever feel that way? I said to uh, some folks, I said. 
So sometimes I struggle with this discouragement, not because I'm discouraged inwardly, but just the immenseness of the task. And I'm not saying that we're trying to do something big and great. That's not what God has called us to do. But the immenseness of the, the, incredible, uh, the incredible opportunity a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, uh, was maybe last Sunday, actually, last Sunday, came home from church, and I was just like, I was just astounded. I was like, God, there is so much work here to do. I feel like I don't have enough hands. I, I said to my wife, honey, we need to double our staff. We need to double our team. Why are we into numbers? No, we're not. Because I feel like that I'm dropping the ball sometimes with the needs of people. Um, you know, Siri is great, but Siri, you know, Siri is not filled with the Holy Spirit. We need, we need, a, we need an incarnation of Siri who's born again, you know, that's filled with the Holy Spirit. We need people that are like-minded, like-minded people to, to just jump on, jump on board to say, you know what? I really believe in the leadership. I really believe in the spirit of God here. I really believe in the people. I really believe that God, because you know something, we're not here today because everybody loves my personality. That's definitely not the reason why you're here tonight. We are here today because God is in our midst that there's a pillar of, of smoke by day and there's a pillar of fire by night. And when it's dark, as we sang tonight, the last song, when it's dark, when the darkness comes in and tries to get a hold of you, have you ever felt that? Darkness, trying to grip. I mean, every one of us have felt it this month. The claws of darkness trying to get in to our soul. F.B. Myers says, let me finish this. I didn't finish F.B. Myers' quote. But if we have been called to it of God, when that is, but if we have been called to it of God, and when that is so, there is no further cause for anxiety. Question here is, is are you called? Are you called? If we are called, then there's no cause for anxiety. And I said that to my wife. I said, I want to go into 2019, and I want to stop striving in certain areas of my life. I want to stop trying to be achievement-oriented. Yes, I have clay feet. I'm sorry. I'm not the perfect guy. I, want to st- I don't want to strive in certain. I want to rest. Because if you look at the most amazing things that you have in your life, yeah. just take a minute. Think of what are the most amazing things that you have in your life. Hopefully, it's your, if you're married, it's your partner, your wife or your husband. If you're not married, then, then, it, then it's maybe your, the body of Christ, the word of God, the calling that you are in. What, it's maybe some other things that you have in your life. Maybe what you're experiencing today in, in your business or in your family or in your personal life. When you think of those most amazing things, how did you get those? Did you work for it? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I met Chris Johnson through Instagram. Because I was just, I was thinking, there's got to be people in this spring that think with God about their business, you know. And I did that search that they have on Instagram and discovered Chris. It's like God brings people into our life. The things that we, the greatest things that we have in our life are things that God has just given to us. That we could have never qualified. I could have never chosen the life that I'm living because I would have probably messed it up if I tried to choose it myself. Because we're so limited in the way we see things. Our perspective is just so off, and we don't even know what we need. I mean, I don't know how long you've been following, following the Lord, but we don't even know what we need. We don't know. I don't know what I need, and nor can I even um, assess myself spiritually. I, don't, I can't tell if I'm doing good or bad. It's the Word of God that has to give me that through the Holy Spirit. The greatest things that you and I have are not things that we have qualified for or that we have been sufficient for. These are things that God has given to us because of his grace and his goodness and because God delights in blessing us. God delights in blessing us. 
I think God enjoys interacting with us. Being as a dad, you probably, you know, can associate with this if, you, if you're a parent. But, you know, sometimes I'll be sitting on the floor with my son, and he'll be doing something, and he'll come over, and he's just this little guy. He'll come up behind me, and he'll push me. Like, you know, like, he'll just kind of push me over. And he doesn't have the strength, because I can, you know, I can push back. And, but I'll let, I'll let him push me over, and then he'll laugh, and, and we'll do that for about 10 minutes. He'll get this big kick out of the thing that he can just push me over. Can he push me over? No, he can't. But I, I'm allowing him in an interaction to push me over. Another thing is, is that, and he'll just get this big thing out of it because he can do it. And why do we do that? We do that because we enjoy the interaction with our kids, and we inter- enjoy the interaction that, that um, I'm going, I love this kid so much, I'm going to let him push me over not in discipline and, you know, those other things that we don't want our kids doing, but just in play mode. Sometimes when, I'm eat, when we're eating, when he's eating, he'll, you know, give me uh, this, you know, soggy cracker that he's been munching on. He'll just hand it to me, and I'm supposed to eat it. You know, I don't know. Some of you are looking gross at me. Like, and I pretend I'm eating it. Do I need that from him? Do I need that wafer, or do I need that spoon of, of half... Um, half-eaten yogurt, I don't need that. I don't want that. But I, but do I need that for my sustenance? No, but I enjoy it because he's voluntarily giving me something that he doesn't have to do, and I'm enjoying that interaction. God enjoys interaction with us just the same way. Does that make sense? Does God need me to pray? No, he does not need me to pray. Does God need me to give me his my money? No, God doesn't need... Does God need me to give my time? No, he does not. But there is this enjoyment when we participate with God in things in his presence because um, we have been made, we have been called we have been called we've been called we've been called here without a shadow of a doubt and by the way you need to make sure that you're called because if you don't when the when the winds and the waves come you and I are going to be uprooted and we're going to be we're going to be swept down the river just like we saw when the rivers and the waters were flooding Houston we need to know, and we need to meditate on that. You know, before my wife and I make major decisions in our life, we always take time to make sure, are, is this the will of God? Because, you know, storms are going to come, and there's hindrances are going to come, and there's going to be people and situations and resources that are going to be lacking. But you know something? If I know that God has brought me here, then I can be sure and I can live in that assurance when the winds begin to blow. Joshua, and I read this today, um, I don't know anything about this guy's theology. Um, I, it just was in my notes. The guy's name is David Ware. He, I think he's a worship leader in, with Hillsong. But he said this. He just said these words, and it really spoke to me. Joshua wouldn't step into, and he's actually talking about David, wouldn't step into his anointed role until many years later. Joshua here is anointed by, by, by Moses. But how many years from the time... How many years from the time that he was anointed by Moses, laid hands on by Moses to the time he began to lead? There's a time of preparation there. Pastor Schaller and I were driving the car one time. We were just talking about preparation. And we were just discussing how, like, how many years did Jesus prepare before he came into ministry? He was alive 33 years. He came into ministry at the age of about 30. And he served for how many years? Three years. Son of God, creator of the universe, how many years of preparation? 30 years. What's that the percentage of? Is that 90%? Okay. 
Can we say that 90% of our life is actually preparation? I think it's okay to say that. If you don't see a lot of fruit today, if you don't see God moving in your life, it doesn't mean you're not called. It just means that we're being prepared. We're being prepared. We're being prepared. A dear friend of mine came down. He's a pastor from Cincinnati, Ohio. Came down. He's in the area uh, just to be with family because there was a family health situation. And we were sitting in Old Town Spring at the Loose Caboose. We're sitting there eating. Pastor Swartz and I, we were just talking. He's a pastor of a very small church. Uh, He's in his, I don't know how old he is. Uh, And he just says, we are here to love people, serve the Lord, and just do what God wants us to do. And we're happy. And and their lives glorify Christ to me so much. And, um, And this is what David Ware said. He said, one of the best things I learned as a young worship leader is that while there was no doubt I was called by God to do what I was doing, And listen to this. My level of authority needed to grow and to be developed. Things we may think are small and insignificant are actually powerful weapons we need for the ministry. Was 2018 a time of just small, unimportant things happening in your life? I think for me there were some things that didn't seem to be important, but they're very important. This is something that David Pastor Swartz and I were talking about with his wife when we were eating. That they that, in the book of Luke, Jesus said, they that are faithful in the small things will be given much to rule. If we are faithful in the small little things in this life, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Aaron ruling over cities during the millennium. I mean, you know, like if we are going to be faithful with the little stuff, sometimes we think, you know, I wish I could do this. I wish I could be doing that. I wish I could have the glory of a, of a massive operation over here. But if we can be faithful with the little things like loving our kids, like like sharing the gospel with our neighbor, like saying the important thing when it needs to be said, when we need to, when we don't have the courage to say it, we say it. When we're faithful to small things, that is very important because those things are what prepare us for the ministry, that prepare us for the will of God. Am I called? I was saying this to my wife today. Am I called to build a big church? I don't think I am. I mean, I could be wrong. But, you know, I could. God could prove me wrong, and that's really not my goal in my life is to to build a big, massive mega church. Historically, it seems like in my life personally, I'm just sharing with you as my church family, it seems like that God has used me and other folks in greater grace to uh, disciple men and to get men plugged into their calling. And then they go and disciple others and the churches begin to grow. And, and I think that that's what I'm supposed to do. Uh, how, do we, how do we assess that? How do we measure success? And I think that a lot of discouragement comes in your life because you measure success incorrectly. You measure success if your kids are super obedient. And, and, and uh, <laughs> that's never going to happen. I mean, if I can say, I can say that because I was a disobedient <clears throat> kid. That is not success. If your kids are robots, then that is not success. Success is, is when you and I understand the heart of God, the word of God, the mind of God, and we just apply it by faith. And then we have succeeded. You know, our, our pastor, um, Pastor Stevens, back in the day said, my job is to preach the word of God. Your job is to go home and study it and to live it out. I can't live it out for you. My job is to study and preach. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Success as a pastor is not based on whether people stay in your church or leave your church. Um, pastors get, pastors can just, pastors like get so discouraged. And by the way, if you know a pastor, pray for him. Just pray for him because... He looks like he's doing great, but you got to pray for him. Just pray that he does. 
Just pray that, that God delivers him from evil, from temptation, from discouragement. If he's on your mind, text him. Just not 3 o'clock in the morning. Text him say, I'm praying for you, Pastor. And I'm not saying that because I need it. But I'm saying that um, encourage, uh, if you know a pastor, encourage him. Because they get hit hard. And a lot of times, um, in the warfare, there needs to be some a word of encouragement. I talked to a pastor of a very large church recently. And I don't say this because I'm some amazing guy. But I'm just saying this because I felt at that moment I needed to share encouragement word. I met him in this random place. Some of you know the story. And we were sitting there. I was sitting there doing something, eating on the phone. And he walks by me with his wife. And I just saw him. And uh, he had this look on his face like, I don't know, just, you know, you know when people are not, when, when people are not on guard and you can see their face and you can read their countenance. I saw his face. And we were, I was just in this random place in Houston. And he just walks by. And I was like, hey, Pastor. And he's a pastor of a big church in, in, in the area. And I just started talking with him. I had this joy in my heart to see him, and I was just talking with him. And I said, I said, it's so great to see you guys. And I just felt from the Holy Spirit say to me, this guy doesn't have a lot of friends. And so I encouraged him. And, you know, some, some, some of these pastors don't have a lot of friends for just different reasons. And I encouraged him in the Lord the best I could. And then he walked off. And it's all good. But you know something? We need to say a word in season. And this is what can happen. Because pastors are in the warfare. Pastors and their wives. Can I say and their wives? I said to Pastor Swartz today, I think the real heroes in church planting are the pastor's wives. Because we drag them all over the world. Right, honey? <laughs> we just drag them all over the place. And they said, okay, we'll come. And then God blesses them. Joshua here, the next verse that we see about Joshua, and just think about this man who was exercised in the presence of God. Joshua is now in ministry. He is, in Joshua chapter 1, uh, we read that God says to Joshua, and by the way, when you think of Joshua, do you think of this mighty, powerful guy? This incredible leader? Just the guy ready to just pick a fight with anybody? No. I, I counted five or six times where God says to Moses, okay, tell Joshua to be strong and encourage him. It says, encourage Joshua. Moses is told by God, encourage Joshua, right? And then God, and then Moses is encouraging Joshua. And we see this word, be strong and of good, great, of good, good courage. And I don't know how many times, is, I, I counted at least five times, either God is saying it to Moses to tell Joshua, or Moses is telling Joshua, or God is telling Joshua. Joshua was a guy that I'm pretty sure by the way we see the way God speaks to him, that struggled with discouragement. This guy was a fearful guy. I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if you were told, okay, you're going to follow Moses, and now you're going to lead two million people. But not only that, we're gonna, you're going to lead them across an impossible river called the Jordan, and you're going to into, you're gonna go into the Canaanites, where they've been camping out there for centuries. They're massive people. They're giants. And they have these megalithic... Um, uh, cities that just there's no way to penetrate them and you're going to go in and you're going to in seven years you're going to conquer seven kings good luck man I would if I was Joshua I would have been a little doubtful I would have been a little self introspective I would have been wondering did God really call me you ever ask that question did God really say that did God really call us here did God and you know something the answer to that is always got to be I remember when God spoke to me or I remember when God led me Joshua said here in Joshua 3, verse 10 to 11, Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you. Okay, Joshua's saying, here's how you're going to know that the living God. And I want to say this. 
to you today. Here is how God, how you can know the living God is among you in your family or in your business or in your health situation or wherever you're at, uh, in your discouragement or in your temptation or in your battle with sin. Here is how you shall know in verse 10 that the living God is among you and that he without fail, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites. Amen. He will do it. Who's going to do it? You're going to do it just with all the power of God in you. You just roll up your sleeves and take on. The... No, you're not. It doesn't say that. That was how. That would be how the Moore family uh, translates that. It is that this is how you shall do it. That the Lord, without fail, will go before you uh, to drive out the Canaanites. Then he lists six other six other um, nationalities. There's seven here: Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites. By the way, I did a historical study on who these people were and where they were from and what they represented. Each one of these represented an incredible stronghold of sin and, and grossness. It's unbelievable. The Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Verse 11, behold, this is how you're going to know. How? How are you going to know that the living God is among you and will do all this? Behold, verse 11, behold always means, look at what I'm going to say here. Behold, take note, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. This is how we're going to know that we are in the presence of the ark. If I was to ask you today, who is the ark? Who is the, all these people, where is the ark of the covenant? You're not going to find it. I don't know where it is. What is. Who is the ark of the covenant for us as believers today? Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ. This is how you will know that, that the ark of the covenant of all the earth is passing before you across the Jordan. This is how we're going to know that when the ark, when we look at the ark, and here's a man, Joshua, that had a relationship with the ark. He had a relationship with the presence of God. He was a man that um, that paid the price to lack of sleep or lack of opportunity or, or scale back his schedule so that he could have more time with God. And I, I want to say, somebody asked me the other day at a pastor's conference when we were up north, they said, what is the biggest challenge for you in plant church planting in the states, and you know what it was? It's I said it's people's schedules, including mine. It's we're too busy as Americans. We're so busy with stuff, trying to keep up. To you know, we buy. I'm not saying God. Does, you know, we buy these things, and we spend all our time trying to make money to pay for those things to keep them maintained, to to mow the lawn or whatever. And we get so busy, and and um, and we don't have time to engage the arc in your life. You know, is there an arc between you and your friendship? Is there an arc between you and your wife or your husband? There's got to be that arc, the arc of the presence of the Lord. David and Jonathan had a beautiful friendship, and David and Jonathan said, let the Lord be between us. Amen? This is the arc, the presence of the Lord. You know, the arc, wherever the arc went, there was a great blessing, you know? And I know I'm kind of talking long, just to make a couple more hours here. Uh, just joking. That you know, remember in First Samuel chapter four, and I was reading this today that that um, that the Israelites go up and fight the Philistines. The Philistines kick their behind, and then then they come back and they, what happened? Okay, oh, we got to take the ark with us. They take the ark. They have no relationship with the ark. This is a good luck rabbit's foot. They take it into battle, and guess what happens? First First Samuel four, they lose the battle, and the Philistines take the ark. And, they, and, and the ark for the Philistines is not a blessing, but it's a curse. Yeah. Because the Philistines were not God's people. 
And so when we don't understand our relationship with the ark, Jesus Christ, when we don't understand it, we can use it like as a lucky charm. But when David brought the ark back into the presence of the people, when, when Joshua understood the relationship that he had with the ark, the ark goes before. And if you read the beautiful verses that are in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Joshua, we're going to look at them in the next few weeks, that there was a space between them and the ark. There was, a, there was this distance that sometimes we don't know what God is doing. Kind of we look down the road and it's kind of not clear what we're doing. But there's that distance, but there's that sacred relationship. And when there's a relationship with the ark, there's a blessing. I read this devotional by um, Pastor Stevens and it really spoke to me. Um, and there's something out of it. He wrote a green devotional. This is back in the 70s. Uh, just in me, and I just want to read parts of it to you. You may think, okay, you may have the laver and your hands cleansed. Laver was one of, he's talking here about some of the things that are in the tabernacle, but there was, but no ark. And he says, you may have the laver and have your hands cleansed, but no ark. You may have the showbread and the eat doctrine, but no ark. You may have prayed at the altar of incense, but no ark. You could be Saul and go to worship, but no ark. Why do people fear and have comparisons? Why do men go backwards? Why do many experiences seem stagnant and cold? When there is a need, why do people not help? When the body goes through persecution, why do people preserve their reputation and refuse to be counted among the transgressors? It is because there is no ark in their lives. You know something, what does that mean for us today? We have Jesus, he is in us. He is, Jesus is our ark. We have in, in our life, let us, let us enjoy and engage him. Let us go up to God and kind of push him over a little bit. Say, God, you know what? I know you're king of the universe here, but I want, to put, I want to just wrestle with you. I want to engage with you. I want to hear what you're, speak if you could. Just uh, humble yourself. And he does this, humble yourself and speak to me in the words of just a, a, of a simple man like me. Let me hear your thoughts about my little dusty life that I'm living and I want to hear your mind and you know what God is saying I'm right there and I'm coming down I'm going to talk to you exercise the presence of the ark in your life be in the tabernacle Inter- intercede with and what is the ark what does that mean I don't want to be I don't want to be um, uh, impractical what does it mean what does the ark do the ark represents the finished work of Jesus Christ there were two cherubim they were looking. They were they were seated on a gold cover, and on that cover was to be put the blood of the sacrifice. So, what were the cherubim, the highest ranking angels in heaven? What were they looking at? They were looking at the blood of Christ. That is what God is talking about in heaven, not about how so and so failed and how this pastor over here stole money from the church and all this stuff and all that stuff. God is talking about in heaven the the the, the efficacy of the blood of Jesus Christ. That the blood is enough for your sins. That is what God, that's what Joshua was fellowshipping. He was fellowshipping with the finished work in his life. That, that though he, there are times when he could not uh, be faithful or that he, could, that he failed in believing and that he was discouraged, he looked at that ark and he was encouraged that God would never leave him nor forsake him, that God never judged him. This is the ark. This is where you and I want to abide. This is what makes the difference in our life. And I'll close with this. Joshua was in the tent. He was in the presence of the ark. He was fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit of God inside of him. I want to encourage you and I 
that we would spend time in the presence of God, that we would get quiet, that we would open our Bibles or figure it out how the best way it is for you. Maybe it's in your car or in your truck that you that would that you would just begin to hear from God when there's nobody around. Get alone with God. Walk with God in quiet. Go for a walk or get go to your man cave or wherever you go to, to hear from God. Just say, God, I need to hear from you. I need to hear, not people, not Facebook, not social media, not my text messages, but I need to hear from God because if I don't hear from you, God, I'm going to be anxious. I'm going to be worried. I'm going to be discouraged. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be bitter at this situation. And when we do that, then just like, just like Joshua, Joshua, before he was called to slay the giants in Canaan, he was called to slay the giants in his heart and in his mind in that before the presence of the Lord. Before we go into 2019, I really believe that God wants us to do um, a couple things as a church. Number one, not new programs, not, new, not, more, not more effort. That's going to happen, I'm sure. But God wants you and I to abide, to exercise ourselves in the presence of God, to get to know God. And even if you sit quiet and you don't know what to say to God and you don't even know what God is saying to you, get quiet before the Lord and just say, God, I'm just going to be quiet in your presence. You don't have to even say anything. I'm just going to just be quiet in your presence and just, just be quiet and just listen. And when we do that, then there's this preparation. There is this anointing in your life. There is this power. Because you know something? Two million people did not know God. Here's another thing. How many people left Egypt and how many people went into the promised land? How many people left Egypt? Right? How many? Two million people, right? Or something like that. How many people from that group entered into the promised land? Two. Numbers are not the issue with the kingdom of God. Okay, two million leave. Two, two, and not even Moses doesn't even make it in there because Moses is a whole other story. It's two men, Joshua and Caleb. And I love Caleb's life because Caleb, when, when Joshua and Caleb are faced with the spies that are just complaining and negative about what they just saw in the promised land, guess who speaks up? Caleb does. Caleb encourages Joshua. You know, the mighty man Joshua needs a Caleb in his life. Speak. You may not think that, oh, I'm not really an amazing person in the kingdom of God. But you know what? You can be somebody's Caleb. You can speak, you can speak into somebody's life and say, you know something? God is with you. God has given us this land. I don't know why Moses sent the, the scouts in there. The land is already ours. We should have just gone in there and not, not evaluated it from human viewpoint. Let's look at this year from this perspective. God, I'm not going to strive. I'm not going to try to make anything happen. And God, you can take it all away. I mean, if God just took it all away and just said, that was nice for two years, that was great. And then God takes it all away. Praise the Lord. I'm going to be happy because my, my, our identity is not in what we do or how much money we have or what we're driving. Our identity is in the ark, the presence of God in our midst. And if we got the ark, it does not matter what we don't got. Amen. If you got the ark in your life, you got the... And guess what happened? I can preach all night on this, but I'm not. Guess what happens? What did the Canaanites and the people of Canaan say? They said that the Israelites are coming and their God, they were talking about the God that was in the midst and their ark. We have the presence of God in our life and that makes us different. It makes us want to be, it makes, you ever go to an amazing Christian event or amazing religious event and there's no ark there? You're just like, 
but something's missing. It's like, it's like coffee without sugar. <laughs> it's just like, not, it's like coffee without caffeine. It's like something's missing there. We have the ark and when we have the ark and the ark's not going to go away. It's in us. And that ark, it just waits to be gracious. It waits to bless. And when the ark is in the presence of the people, like it is here, there's a blessing. Amen. I love it. I want to exer- I want to be exercised in the presence of God. I want to scale back some of the stuff I'm doing. I don't want to get so busy in my life with things that are not going to matter in five years. Um, I want to, I want to prepare for my kids. Of course, I want to prepare for my family and, and, and be engaged in, in, in responsibilities, but I, wa- I don't want to leave those things that are the most important things undone because I got my eyes on something else. Let's look at the ark. Let's follow the ark. Let's be in love with the ark. And even if Moses is going in and out, maybe there's great men of God that are going in and out of the tent. Let's just say, you know, I'm going to hang out in this tent because I just want to bask in the presence of God. And if we do that, if we do that, we're going to see... We're going to see a whole other ministry. Everything that you do is everything that you do is going to be different. It's going to be totally different. There's going to be an anointing in your life, and people are going to say, "Wow, they, she was with Jesus. He was with Jesus." Amen. Heavenly Father, we come to you as a body, as a as a church, as a family, sinners saved by grace. God, Lord, we cannot say that 2018 was the perfect year. We can't even say that it was even better than 2017 or any other year of our life, but we can say that you were in our midst and the God that is in our midst is mighty. And Lord, we, we want to look at Joshua. We want to look at his, his relationship with you. We, got, we pray, Lord, bring Caleb's into our life, bring Joshua's into our life. Bring the priests that bear the ark into our life. Bring Eliezer. Bring the worship, the worship, um, the, the the tribe of worship into our lives, Lord. We we trust you, Lord, for for the task that's at hand. We trust you for our kids. We trust you for our businesses. You've always provided. You've never left us standing in the rain. We pray for people today that are struggling in relationships, struggling in their marriages, struggling in their health. Well, we just thank you that Jesus, he was in the midst of Israel and Israel did not even recognize their Messiah. That's just, in one sense, it's comforting to us. But on another hand, it's just unbelievable. Jesus, you are in our midst. You are powerful to heal. God, we do not want to go into this year haphazardly we don't want to come into this year with a spirit of familiarity or compromise Lord help us to grow this year show us how we can be better husbands and better wives help us to take courageous steps Lord because if we do then there will be people that follow we thank you Lord for this body for this year that's ahead of us the exciting things that we have plans and those things that are on your heart. Speak to us. Renew us. In Jesus' precious name, we pray these things. And if you're here this evening and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, He is here tonight. He's in your midst. And He's not here to tell you a new religious program, but He's here to take your burdens and to give you an easy easy yoke. Just say yes to God today. He'll come into your life and He'll change you.
We praise you and we love you. Let's just stand together and worship.